Welcome to episode 16 of the Avatar Hour podcast, the show where we discuss all things Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. I'm Andre. And I'm Kayla. And this week we will be discussing the season one finale episodes of 119 The Siege of the North Part 1 and 120 The Siege of the North Part 2. Before we dive into the episode, we do want to let you know, as always, that this podcast will be discussing full spoilers for both Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. However, you are free from spoilers regarding any Avatar Universe comic books and also the Rise of Kiyoshi and the Shadow Kiyoshi books. Kayla, how are we doing this week? I hear we have an interesting story to tell. So uh, one of my many side jobs is coaching. So this one girl I coach, she was like, oh, I'm watching for, this. For swimming? Yeah, for swimming. So I, you know, swimming. I, coach, okay. I coach this little girl. And she's, I mean, she's, not, she's not that little. She's like, she's like 12 years old. She's still little uh-huh. than me. Anyway, so she's like, yeah, like I was asking how her weekend was. And she's like, yeah, like my mom got me watching this oldies show. And I'm thinking like, mm. oh, maybe she's watching like, I don't know what you, I don't know what, when you think oldies, you think like stuff from like maybe, maybe like the 80s and 90s or something. She's, and I'm yeah, like, what oh. are the youngs watching? And I was like, oh, so what, what show are you watching? She's like, Drake and Josh. I'm like. Oh, oh. my God. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yes. And that is the exact sound that I made as soon as I, she said the name of the show. I may or may not oh have started Oh my screaming. god. I mean, I guess it would be considered an older show. It is. I mean, it was early 2000s. Like, she wasn't even born yet when that came out. That does make me feel old, though. Oh, absolutely. I saw I saw a TikTok recently that was like, for the older generation on TikTok, born between, born between 1997 and 2000, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm the older generation? Mm. I guess I am. Mm. <laughs> I'm not ready mm. for that. I'm 21 years old. <laughs> <laughs> We're in our early Love a good 20s, existential man. crisis. Like I posted, like, I posted that on Facebook because you know, funny ridiculousness like that needs to be shared. Hence, of you course. know what we're doing here. And uh, I put posted a GIF of like, I mean, it, honestly, probably the most accurate GIF I could think of to describe how I was feeling. It was um, the GIF of Tim Allen from uh, the Santa Claus, and like his beard, like his hair and his beard suddenly turned white. That's literally mm, like just like yeah. how I felt. I'm like, I think I just aged five years and five seconds right now. Oh my god, that's like, insane. Oh my god, that just blew my mind. I might have screamed. I might have started hollering. Uh I might have screamed. I might I might have screamed right in her face. <laughs> I, I turned away for that part. I was like <clears throat> Right. Like just like and then she gave me a weird look. I mean, like, you know, like little kids, like when you like kind of like act goofy around them a little bit, and like little yes. kids think you're hilarious. Yes. Older kids are like, what the fuck is what is this clown doing? It's like she's like 12 years old and she's like, What what what's this clown doing here? Like, what's what, this oldie doing? Yeah. <sighs> That's funny. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, how about you? How was your week? <laughs> um, it's it's been I, I just realized that um Thanksgiving is in two weeks. That's right. <laughs> two weeks from today for when we're recording. And I'm just like, I love that twenty here's how twenty twenty has gone in terms of the timeline. So we got January, February, March, 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 April, May, June, July, August, September, October. November, November 3rd, November 3rd, part two, part three, part four, (laughs) part five, part six, and then Christmas. (laughs) 
That is how 2020 feels. That's, and that's I'm just I'm just accurate. along for the ride. I'm along for the ride. I mean, it's a ride I didn't really want to get on, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a it's been a year. I mean, like I can't say it's been all bad because it, we did start this podcast we did start this, this podcast, year. So something good came out of this, you know. And I will tell you what, this podcast has definitely gotten me through my anxiety ridden times because it has given me something to do and something to work on each week. And I this is not gonna lie the best decision that i've made is to get in this podcast with you and also yeah. kayla you're an amazing co-host Aww, and so are you, i just bud. love doing That's this with amazing. you i like, love this, doing this with you this is just like it's something i look forward to every week with recording yeah. uh you know like i'm so glad i've gotten to know you better over the last couple of months and like you know yeah. i actually get to put like my super nerd skills uh and like over you know uh over investment in shows put it here exactly. and it's not that weird when i talk about like analysis and stuff uh and foils exactly <laughs> yeah and foils foils, foils! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that yeah that's the thing like because we i mean like i would say we were like good acquaintances when this started and now i consider you one of my really good friends same to you man Aww. oh love Friendship. that oh <laughs> our season finale well avatar season one finale yeah big episode for you guys but before we get into the actual recaps we do have a little co- a couple of news items we're realizing that our news section is less about the avatar news and more just about the news for our show i mean which is fine it can counts. be both that counts it counts it counts it's you know it's a good like news bulletin for our listeners like think of it as like the uh the avatar hour newspaper for your ears i don't know um you want to you want to start us off kayla absolutely well as uh andre mentioned thanksgiving is coming up but more importantly so is our live stream so oh yeah fuck the pilgrims come to our live stream yeah yeah screw that you know forget family you know family stuff forget the turkey forget the family stuff forget the colonization now don't forget the colonization remember that shit but you know remember it right yep (laughs) remember as in like as in like you know we don't like thanksgiving anyway the point is we do have a live stream coming up in a couple weeks november 28th 7 p.m eastern time on our youtube channel so if you want to get the link to the live stream ahead of time because we do have a live already set and ready we just gotta you know press the button when the time comes so the link to the live stream is in our link tree on our social pages, and we'll be posting the link in this week's episode description so you can bookmark that shit. So mm-hmm. go do that. And of course, make sure you're following us on our socials to keep up to date on all the details and links for the live stream. So Facebook and Instagram, it is at the Avatar Hour podcast, and Twitter is at Avatar Hour. So we're looking forward to you know seeing you in the chat and interacting with us because we will be watching the Last Airbender movie which I've never seen. So it's going to be a real treat. (laughs) And I haven't seen it in years. So I'm interested to see how I feel about it, especially because the movie is all season one and we are just about ready to finish season one. So I'm interested to see how some of it comes. I do remember some things, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a great time. There's a running joke in the fandom of like, there is no movie in Bossing say, well, for now we're going to acknowledge the movie. Okay. We're going to acknowledge it. We're going to watch it. And we'll never talk about it again. And then we'll never speak (laughs) of this again. This is a great segue into our next news item, but I was doing some research on uh, potential episodes in the future for this show. Mm. And one of the things that I was thinking of is we can, um, watch the like the comic-con panels like way back in the day 2007 and see what was going on there 
And so I was watching, I can only find the season three one in video. There are transcripts for, I think, season one and two, but I don't really want to do transcripts. I want to do the actual video. But I was watching the video and um, Michael Martino, I believe, was the one that could not make it. So he sent in a video of being like, hey, guys, I'm sorry I can't make it. Um, I'm here hanging out with my friend. And then the camera pans over and it's M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, we're working really hard on making this live action film for you guys. We're, we're working a lot on the bending and it's going to look great. You guys are going to love it. And the crowd is cheering oh. and I'm watching this and just like, oh it's like, no. It's like us. It's like <laughs> us going to like the concerts and like the like show, go to the, the concerts, going to friends, going to go see movies and stuff while like we keep seeing stuff about COVID-19 in the news. It's like that. <laughs> Like, we don't know oh, what's coming. 1,000% is I'm like, oh, you guys are in for a rude awakening three years from now. Oh, my God. It was it was something. It was something. But, um, <sighs> yeah, speaking of the future of the podcast, you know, we On only have two episodes note. left. <laughs> On a happier note, we only have two episodes left of the Avatar Hour for season one. Oh, my God. And we want to give you guys a sneak peek about what's coming in season two. Yay. So after our season finale live stream episode, we're going to be taking a hiatus next month, so there will be no Avatar Hour episodes in the month of December. And we will be back January 4th, 2021 for season two of our show. Doesn't mean we're going to be completely dormant. We'll still be on social medias and posting stuff and giving you teases about what we're going to talk about. But as far as posting episodes, we're going to be taking that month as a hiatus, as a break. Recuperate. We're going to be also taking that. We're also going to be taking time that month to find ways to improve the show and give us, you know, some brain space to come up with new and exciting content for y'all. Because while it is a, such a fun sh- a fun podcast to work on, the recaps actually take up a lot of, at, at least my time, they take quite a while to put together. Because um, I'm always nervous that it's too long or I'm leaving out something important. But that's that takes up a lot of our, I, at least for me, takes up a yeah, lot of brain space it's, during the week. It's definitely a lot more work than I thought it would be for recap episodes. Yeah, like, not, only, not, only do you have to, not only do you have to like uh, watch the episode, but you have to like think about it as you're watching it and like pay attention to mm-hmm. details and like and then you look mm-hmm. at the Avatar mm-hmm. wiki to see any of the details you missed. Like we we take this shit pretty freaking seriously, you know? Oh, very seriously, very seriously. And this is the fun part. This is the best part. Oh, of we, love, we love we love this recording stuff. the episode. We love this yeah. stuff. We love but the sometimes research. We love the talking. It's a, it's still the work. Grind though. of yes, it is still work, and the grind of putting the doc together can be a little bit. So I'm looking forward to taking some time and freeing up some brain space to figure out what we can do and how to make the show better. We're also very excited to announce that along with season two, we will be launching our exclusive Avatar Hour Patreon. With the launch of this Patreon, we will be offering some really exciting benefits, including early access to ad-free episodes of Avatar Hour, access to our show notes, so the Google Doc that we use while we're recording, which is what I'm reading off now, you will be able to access that before the podcast uh, is posted each week. We leave funny stuff in the notes sometimes. Yeah, and not all <laughs> of it ends up in the episode necessarily, so it's definitely interesting. Um, and also, you will have exclusive access to our flagship benefit, Avatar After Hour, where we will be discussing some topics or theories in depth in bonus bite-sized episodes of Avatar Hour a couple of uh, times a month. Um, and that's not all. That's not all of our benefits. That's just to give you a taste of what we're offering We have a lot of other exciting benefits in store for you guys. So stay tuned to learn more about those and how we're going to be pricing that. Um, You're going to be finding out more about 
our Patreon in the month of December. That's what, what our socials are mostly going to be about, just to give you guys a sense of what you can look forward to. And that Patreon will launch um, right on January 4th when we come back with Season 2. So we're very excited to offer that for you guys. It is a, um, a thank you letter to us from you guys who have been engaging with the show, listening to the show, DMing us memes and theories, and we really, really appreciate it. And we want to give you guys more um, because we know it's very stressful times, and we hope that we can offer some levity um, and just like an hour of your day to kind of like, you know, sink into Avatar and just kind of hang out with us a little bit. So we definitely exactly. want to offer more of that. Yeah. Yes. But that's really exciting. That's been in the works for quite a while. Um, and we're still working on it. But yeah, season two is so far looking pretty fucking good. Uh, he's like, and Andre, you literally sent me like the, the sheets of like all of the things that we have coming up. Like he's got this like stuff planned like through 2021. Like we are organized. Oh yeah. The entirety of 2021 is planned. A little bit of 2022 is even being touched on a little bit too. Like, yeah. And then I was like, okay, I have to stop (laughs) because, um, because I was getting like, oh my God, if we could have time to talk about this, is that going to take too long to talk about? Oh my God, are we going to have time? I was just like, okay, give it a couple of months. (laughs) (laughs) Things are going to be moved around. Probably it's gone. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Exactly. Um, Exactly. But that just, that just goes to show you guys how much we care. Exactly. We have a lot of really big dreams for this podcast. You know, we want to try all sorts of different ways to, you know, help share the love of Avatar with all of you and to introduce new people to this show and, we just have a lot. We just, we just love this so much, guys. And y'all have been amazing with the support, with the, the direct messages, with the follows, with the comments, with with everything, honestly. So for everyone who's followed us since the beginning, like, thank you. And to all the people who just started joining us, welcome. We have a bunch of episodes yeah. to listen to. If you're just starting on this one, we got a whole bunch before this one. So it's it's been a journey. And it, I'm so excited to continue that with you. Love that journey for us. All right. Is it time to start the episode recap? I think, I think we've talked long enough about everything else except I think, for the episode. <laughs> I think it's time. Let's do it. All right. Siege of the North Part 1. We have finally reached the season finale, and the Fire Nation is coming. Dun, dun, dun. Aang and Katara are learning waterbending. Sokka and Yue are kind of a thing. And I don't know what Appa and Momo are really doing during this time, but I'm sure they're doing fine. Uh, the stakes are high. The scene is set. It is season finale time. Let's go. Okay. The episode opens with Katara dueling with one of her fellow classmates, and she beats him easily. Uh, Paku asks if anyone wants to get a rematch with Katara, and he gets no volunteers because, let's face it, who'd actually want to go up against her? Like, um, He praises yeah. Katara's work ethic and determination, so, you know, I guess character development. I still have some icky feelings about this guy, Paku, but uh-huh. I'm glad that he complimented Katara and finally let her in. Whatever. We'll talk more about that later, I'm sure. And then he sort of shades Aang while complimenting Katara saying like kind of like saying like he's kind of coasting a little bit by on his raw talent and not like the hard work yeah. and honestly I see that a little bit just a little bit I mean Katara also does have some raw talent I absolutely think. I mean she's like master by 14 years old you know it's definitely got to have some sort of talent mixed in with like that worth work mm-hmm. ethic but don't underestimate the work ethic like it's, we saw how she was in the last episode she's fucking determined and that is yeah. so admirable um, I also wanted to point out, so Aang kind of like he does makes himself into like a snowman using the snow around him. So I actually kind of want to point this out. It's um, so Milo from Legend of Korra, so Aang's grandson, actually ends up doing a similar move, albeit a little sloppier because you know he's a little kid, much younger than Aang. Um, but he tries doing the same exact move in the first episode of Legend of Korra. So 
Oh, really? Yes. Considering how many times I've watched the first season of Legend of Korra, this sort of this random stuff will just pop up in my head. So I immediately thought of oh, Milo that's really when I cool. saw that. So, you know, fun fact. Okay. And cut to uh, Yue and Sokka doing an, doing an activity together, i.e. just mm-hmm. they're walking. They're walking together. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks, Sokka talks about his life in the Southern Water Tribe. Then Yue says that they shouldn't hang out together because it feels wrong because, you know, she's engaged and we meet that fiance later this episode. He then introduces her to Appa and they go flying together, which impresses Yue very much. She's never flown before. And they almost kiss. But then it looks like it's starting to snow. But actually, that's no snow, guys. That's soot from the incoming Fire Nation ships. Like, they're here. They are ready. They are Mm -hmm. primed and ready to go and fuck shit up. Yes. I just love how, like, the ash, like, kind of, like, pollutes, like, the snow and, like, the water. Like, it really just adds to that, like, foreboding atmosphere, like, of this yeah. dread, you know, starting to 100%. sink in. 100%. Yeah, I think, I and, and I think it's more effective because we notice it, the audience notices it before Sokka and Yue. So it's kind of like, I oh, shit, what, did, the, yeah. what the fuck is going on? Yeah. I mean, as soon as I saw, I'm like, that's not snow, is it? <laughs> you yeah. know? And I mean, it's like, it's kind of like how in Jaws, like you don't know that the shark is there, but you can't see it. And that makes things even more like scary because you don't really see the Fire Nation armada until later in the episode. Like they're literally Mm -hmm. like an oncoming storm and the water tribe is sealed in and they can't, you know, just run off. There's really nowhere else to go. They have to stand their ground. And honestly, it kind of reminds me of like Helm's Deep, the Battle of Helm's Deep in uh, Lord of the Rings. Have you ever seen that? Yes, and this is interesting. Can you elaborate on this? Because I think this is a really interesting comparison. Yeah, so, well, The Two Towers, uh, which is the second book slash uh, second movie in the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy. And um, I haven't seen the movie in a really long time. I haven't read the books, but I haven't. I watched the movies in high school, but that's like one of my favorite scenes in the entire series is the Battle of Helm's mm-hmm. Deep. It is one of the best battles in the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy, hands down. Um, so basically, kind of like from what I remember, and I'm sure my brother's probably screaming at me from wherever he's listening to this right now. But um, hey, Robert, hey, hi, Robert. Uh, so the orcs, you know, the bad guys, are starting to close in on the humans of Rohan, which is a very, you know, makes sorry makes me think of, you know, uh, Ang's grandson with him later in Korra. But anyway, oh, the point yeah. is, they're cl- they are in this castle fortress thing, and there's only a certain amount of them, and they're literally calling on everyone they can anyone who can lift a sword really to fight off the orcs and there's like they are super outnumbered like this is like it's not you know it's like the stakes are high they're you know clearly like this is not this is going to be this could be a bloodbath and you know just it's one that's why it's such a good battle because there's just so much at stake and there's a lot of odds stacked against our heroes just like how it is right now with this siege of the northern water tribe um, that's and, interesting yeah yeah like i mean like i you know i gotta say like it's definitely there's a lot of visual references to it at least i mean i think the coincidences are too close together because the two towers came out in i believe 2002 and this episode was out in 2005 i want to say so oh, okay okay i wouldn't be surprised if it was a direct reference to the lord of the rings sure. um but it's like there's parallels there's a lot of parallels there's like smaller army versus a much more powerful and reinforced army trying to hold a stronghold against like such pretty much un, you know insurmountable odds and an mm-hmm. unexpected powerful force comes in and saves the day so lord of the rings everybody <laughs> interesting interesting yeah i have to rewatch those movies during winter break <laughs> it's been a while anyway battle of helms deep great scene i gotta rewatch that trilogy now <laughs> anyway so 
Cut to said bad guys. The Grand Admiral Douchebag himself is talking to Iroh, and he's bragging about how history will look at him. Certain Sounds like a little uh, certain Cheeto that we know. Look, also. I'm just going to kill the moon spirit, and everything's <laughs> going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. And, you know, I'm going to be legendary, and they're going to remember me as the moon slayer, the best moon slayer in the Northern Water Tribe. It's going to be great. And... And, and and the Fire Nation, we have the best fire. We have the biggest fire. And I'll tell you what, we have the hottest fire too. It's just it's just it's just phenomenal. It's just great. <laughs> please, please, make me, like just oh just cut fuck this. that guy. Fuck them. So glad we elected him. <laughs> we did not elect him again. <laughs> Iroh then warns said uh, douchebag that uh, to be careful what he wishes for because history is not always kind to its subjects. The Water Tribe, meanwhile, is preparing for a fight as its residents run for shelter. Sokka tries taking Yue with him, but she says that they shouldn't be seen together, even as friends, because she likes him too much. Sokka then points out that you don't even love your fiancé, the classic age-old, you know, thing. And she says that right. she loves her people, to which she replies that she's not marrying them. And then she points out her duties to her tribe and to her father. Considering that Yue is about to make the ultimate sacrifice in the next episode for her people that's a pretty critical mm-hmm. moment in her you know character right there you know this was this the happened. point when i realized like damn they really made sure that we not only cared about Yue, but we understood her sense of like duty and personal responsibility like they really set that shit up really well absolutely then it just makes it more like heartbreaking in the end you know yeah it hurts man so then the chief starts giving a speech about the Utkling fight, anticipating losses, and announces this as their battle for their existence, which is absolutely true. I mean, mm-hmm. I just realized when I was watching that episode, like, holy shit, they're trying to do exactly what they did to the air nomads. Like, you know, if, you know, if what happened in the episode didn't happen, this would have been another annihilation of another culture, you know? Yeah, I mean, horrifying. and also considering we know what Sozin did or... Yeah, Sozin. I mean, they also took all of the the waterbenders from the Southern Water Tribe as prisoner. Like they're, and that's why their their sites are always focused on the Earth Kingdom. But Bossing says they're literally trying to subordinate every element that isn't fire. You know, because if you do that, then you then you have no one to fight against you. So yeah, it's yeah. Like, that's just like a scary thought because like when I first watched this episode, I did not consider that. Like when I first watched it, like for the first time ever, that thought mm-hmm. never crossed my mind. But now I'm like, mm-hmm. oh. And again, that's alluded to several times in this episode: the genocide of the air nomads. So you know, don't know why I didn't notice that before. <laughs> the chief then calls on the ocean and moon spirits, which will come in you know an important role later in the episodes. And uh, he then asks for volunteers for a dangerous mission, and Sokka immediately volunteers and receives a mark as part of the squad of soldiers, kind of similar to how Bato gave him uh, marks. Yeah, in yeah. That mm-hmm. episode. Then um, Aang sits outside and looks at you know the world around him, and the chief joins him, and he says, "Sorry, the chief says that he, uh, about talks about the quiet dread of waiting for a battle. I mean, we've technically been waiting for this showdown like all season." Uh, I mean, it's just been one long chase, and now it's finally, like, we're going to see two forces go head-to-head, literally opposite elements, too, water and fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, we've been carrying that dread probably a lot longer than a lot of these characters, because, you know, dramatic irony, we knew they were coming. But, like, it's true, you know? Yeah. 
that kind of dread just built and built, you know, as we go through the series. And excitement, because, you know, it's cool. We like, we like showdowns. We're not actually, you know, involved in this <laughs> fight here. We're just, we're just right. spectators, <laughs> you know. But still, you know, sometimes I we empathize a little too much with the characters. That's, that's me. <laughs> Aang then says to the chief that he wasn't there when the Fire Nation attacked his people, but he is determined to make a difference this time. So, again, parallels between the genocide of the Aero Nomads and what's going on now with the Water Tribe. Also, interesting yeah. note. Um, the pan up from Aang to the sky is kind of similar to the last shot that you see before the title yes. screen and ev- it's title screen and every single episode introduction. So I was like, yes, I noticed, I noticed that. that too. I was like, oh, that's a nice touch. That's very hmm. nice touch. Yeah. Hmm. So now the water tribe and the gang are gearing up for a fight. They line up along the wall again. That's actually like, that's pretty much a direct reference to Helm's Eve right there. Like there's literally a shot where you see like the main characters lined up on the wall, the king with his soldiers, things like that. It's just, yeah. I can't ignore that. <laughs> so I think that's probably my last reference to Helm's Deep for now. <laughs> so the first attack arrives as a fireball bursts through the water tribe symbol, which is extremely subtle on the wall. Um, more fireballs arrive. So Aang gets onto Appa and flies out to the Fire Nation Navy to try to stop, you know, the attack. He lands on the ship and manages to destroy their cannons. Um, and the water tribe sends out their warriors to help take out that one ship. Aang then flies up on Appa and realizes, much to his horror and our horror, the cannonball ship was just the beginning of an extremely fortified attack heading their way. So, fuck. <laughs> I, you know, for some reason, I when I was watching this little battle sequence, the beginning of it, again, I was thinking of how this could possibly translate to the live action. And I just want to like, I just want to set the scene here. I want you to like, you know, close your eyes and and imagine what I'm gonna describe this potentially looking like in the live action everyone's lined up on the wall ready to fight and all they see is a a giant fog of soot right you don't see the ships you just see this massive fog and then out of the fog come the fireballs and that's like the first attack and then imagine this just imagine it for a second there's a battalion of waterbenders that jump from the wall they land in the water and they start skating across the water like uh, Desk and Esna in season two when they're chasing Korra, like that. And they're literally surfing across the water and zigzagging around the ships and freezing them in the water. Imagine how cool that would be. Yeah, that would be so cool. I was like, wait, that could be really fucking cool. And like, then, like, you see him, you see him put all the, that effort into like getting just like maybe a couple ships down. And then all of a sudden, like, this you know, so clear as you see how many yeah. more they have to fight. Yes, yes, exactly. This this would be so cool. Like, I love these these two episodes and the the action sequences, but I, I always wish that we could get a little more. I know it's the runtime, but again, that's what I'm I'm hoping for in the live action is we get a little more of these action sequences and so it it feels more like grounded. Um but that's what's just like that would look really fucking cool if they did it that way. Nice. That's awesome. Again, to any Netflix executives or whatever that are listening to our podcast, you should take some of our ideas. Hire me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hire him. Oh, my God. I need money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So the chief then gets ready to send out some troops to infiltrate Fire Nation ships. Uh, turns out their intel is kind of, kind of rough, you know, because they, they haven't really left uh, their tribe in a while. Uh, mm-hmm. Sokka points out that the disguises that they have are 100 years old, or sorry, 85 years old, according to the chief. 
Um, and he uses his knowledge of being from, you know, being outside the walls of the Northern Water Tribe to his advantage and pointing out how their, you know, how like their uniforms look now, um, you know, like all sorts of things about like Zhao, for instance, saying like, you know, I know his name. I know what he looks like. <laughs> so kind yeah. of important. Um, and then tension builds between this uh, Sokka and this guy named Han, who we learn is Sokka's romantic rival because he is Yue's fiance and an asshole. Um, and the chief then tells him to report to Han with everything he knows because Han's leading the mission. So the Fire Nation attacks are relentless, you know, fireball after fireball after fireball, and Paku's students are actually helping defend off the attacks. Yay, I guess. I don't know. I don't know any of those people. Uh, cut back to the Fire Nation shifts because, uh, he's, uh, Iroh is advising Zhao to stop the attack for now because it's almost twilight because the waterbenders pull their power from the moon, which will be elaborated further in this episode and the next. And on top of that, the moon's almost full, which means waterbenders will be at their full power. And so Zhao's like, yeah, whatever, I'll do that. You know, good idea. I'll stop my attack for now. But the moon's not going to be a problem anytime soon. You know, it's going to be a pro- it won't be a problem in a little while. And, we're, and you know, I know what's going to happen. I've seen the episode before mm-hmm. this. You know, I, I've watched the series. But I was thinking when I was watching, like, if I was watching this for the first time, blank slate, being who I am right now, I'd probably make some sort of sarcastic mm-hmm. comments like, what are you going to do? Kill the moon? I guess we'll see. Smash cut to Zhao literally <laughs> killing, killing the moon. moon. <laughs> literally. But that's not this episode. That's the next one. Um, so then the attack stops because Zhao, you know, doesn't want to keep fighting when it's the, uh, you know, day- it's no longer daytime and the Fire Nation can't pull their power from the sun. So the attack stops and Aang returns back from fighting off a dozen of the Fire Nation ships, but they just keep coming. The, the, the ships keep coming and they don't stop coming. <laughs> I had to make an all-star <laughs> reference. I'm sorry. It was so Oh, bad. my God. I tried. <laughs> All right. And that was Avatar Hour. Um, That's we'll it. see you next I week. Peaked. <laughs> I peaked. Oh, my God. Aang returns back from scouting, exhausted because he fought off a dozen ships. UA says that, you know, you have to fight them all. You're the Avatar. You know, I mean, she hasn't, she hasn't seen the pressure that this kid's under. And then Aang replies, it kind of broke my heart to hear him say that. He's like, I'm just one kid. And it's, yeah. you know, he's right. And I felt for him so much in this moment. I mean, he's got a lot going on right now. I mean, he always has a lot going on, right? Now, you know, in every episode. But, like, the pressures of being the Avatar, his friends are in danger, and he's facing a new, you know, a new terrifying, seemingly unstoppable force that wiped out his entire culture, you know, a hundred years ago. Like, he's seeing the same thing. Like, history is, like, repeating itself, you know? And he's just a 12-year-old kid. You know? Yeah, I mean, this is this is what we've been seeing all season is that we have Aang as a character first and then the Avatar, but everyone else in the world sees him as the Avatar first and then a person second. And that's what I find so interesting about this whole thing, this dynamic between Aang and the audience and um, the inhabitants of this world and the Avatar. And I think it's a little more explicitly touched on in Korra, but... Um, the duties of the uh, of being the avatar clashing with the personal duties and responsibilities and maintaining that integrity while also making sure like you're still a person if that makes sense no like, it absolutely makes sense yeah it's just it's really interesting I don't I mean I don't fault Yue at all for what she says oh, no, I mean, like I'm not she's also a kid too yeah I mean like but you know raised on the legend of the avatar exactly yeah I mean, the, these people, 
just know that the avatar is supposed to be the person that solves everything you know so i don't i don't blame her for for saying something like that cut back to the fire nation ship and zuko is preparing to uh go capture ang uh you know he's obviously survived an assassination attempt by zhao so zhao doesn't even know that he's still out there um and so iroh meanwhile just giving him advice talking to him like hey make sure like you know do the breath of fire it might save your life and it does later he actually listens Mm -hmm. to the advice um and so he's giving him advice and you know doing the whole like make sure you you know make sure you cover you make sure you wear your hood make sure you like you know dress warmly all that stuff he does all that kind of like you know parents thing you know the parenting doting on your kid kind of thing um and then zuko says like look i don't have time for this i need to go i need to go and Ivor replies that he thinks of Zuko like his own son because he lost his own, you know, because he lost his son. He thinks of Zuko as his own, as his own pretty much. And I forgot that, you know, uh, he actually says that to Zuko. Like, I think of you as my son. Like, I forgot that he ever said that, to be honest. Like, I was, yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, I think we all, I think we all just like, like, Mutually it's implied. Understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's a mutual understanding. But, and I mean, Zuko says as much, like, you don't have to say it, but he he says it anyway. Mm-hmm. But. And honestly, yeah, I think this is, the first, this is the first time we hear Iroh mention his son, I think. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember him saying anything about his son. I, I think you're right. For some reason, I I remember Zhao saying something about Iroh's son. I, remember I don't him, know if I'm making that up, but it might be the first time. I mean, time. most of the, like, the times where we talk about like bossing, saying, it's mostly about Iroh's military failure, not his personal failures, you know, like losing his son, you know? I don't, I mean, right. cor- I mean, I'm sure if, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, whatever. But I, it feels like the first time he's mentioned losing his kid. So anyway, is it, did he lose Luten in that siege? Was it then? I think so. I think it happened, you know, around the same time, probably. I'm wondering if it happened during the actual siege. We'll have to, you know, um, we'll do research and I'm sure we'll see as we go through the show too. No, I'm curious. Listeners, you know who you are. Let us know. Mm-hmm. If, yeah, please if do. You know the answer. Feel free to, please feel free to correct us. We we are happy. Oh, for for sure. We are happy sure. with corrections as long as you're nice about it. Please and thank you. Yeah, don't be a dick. Exactly. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Serious, we, don't be a dick. That's well. That's why we plug all of our all of our socials mostly because like if we said something that's incorrect, please let us know. Please do. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, so Iroh hugs Zuko and sends him on his way. Reminds him to do his breath of fire because that could keep him alive out there in the frickin' snow. And it does. Back to the water tribe. The boys are sharpening weapons, getting ready to fight. Now Han's openly bragging about marrying Yue. Like, jerk face. Like, isn't like he's just like in it for the, he's in it for like the perks of like you know having power and shit. And this pisses off Sokka, who calls him a self-absorbed weasel. Great. And then Han Accurate. belittles him for being a peasant. And then Sokka physically attacks him. I wouldn't blame him. If I was like a superior officer, whatever they call them in the uh, you know, water tribe, I would have just turned the other way. But like, I see nothing. <laughs> I don't know what's happening yeah. here. <laughs> the chief then breaks them up and removes Sokka from the mission. Zuko, meanwhile, is slipping into the water tribe. Mission Impossible style, because that's all I could think of. I couldn't help but think of it. We find some... Robert, you know what you have to do now. You yeah. have to put that music with that scene. <laughs> I'm still waiting on the, the Keeping Up with the Fire Nation edit. Oh, yeah. Know? We got we to gotta, gotta get on that. <laughs> <laughs> so he finds these, like, turtle seals or seal, seal turtles, and he follows them, uh, you know, into these, like, these holes in the ice and try to see if he can come up into you know under the wall and into the city which is extremely smart but super dangerous 
mm-hmm. uh, that sort of stuff. But like, when people like go into like water, like hold their breath for a really long time, it makes me anxious. It, it, I don't yeah. know why. It just does. Like, I feel like I'm holding my breath with them, especially because I'm a swimmer, and we do like we straight up do like laps like underwater. Like we straight up we straight up do like kick underwater and hold our breath, and you have mm-hmm. to make it to the other side, other wall without coming up for air so i know what it's like to have to hold your breath underwater for a really long time and that shit scares me <laughs> so yeah i was yeah. just like anxiety levels are going a little bit through the roof with every single zuko scene as he's trying to infiltrate the northern water tribe however good for him determination excellent lung capacity good for you buddy <laughs> <laughs> anyway ua meanwhile is looking up at the moon and he tells ang and katara she tells sorry she tells ang and katara the story of the moon and how water bending was developed in imitation of the moon's tides I think that actually means that um, water is the only element that wasn't really learned from an animal because badger moles taught earth bending, yeah. you know the air, you know the sky bison taught air bending, and the uh, you know the dragons taught fire bending. So the moon, the moon does its own thing. <laughs> that yeah, that's interesting, and it's also a very important distinction to um point out that they didn't they didn't get water bending from the moon they learned water the technique bending and stuff the technique the technique yeah. versus the ability two different things yeah. guys <laughs> um and you explained that the ocean spirit and the moon spirit worked together to keep balance keyword for water mm-hmm. bending to work Aang then gets the idea to contact the ocean and uh, ocean and moon spirits and you is like hey They'll give you some wisdom to win the fight. Aang's like, hey, they could launch a, t- a crazy spirit attack on the Fire Nation. And he's only half wrong there. You know? He's not really, you know, he's yeah. not wrong. <laughs> Yue then takes Aang and Katara to the most spiritual place in the North Pole, which is this sanctuary with, like, grass and, like, a tropical atmosphere because spirit powers, I guess. Cool. And then we see two fish swimming in circles around each other. One is black, one is white. And one has like a, the black one has a white spot and the white one has a black spot, which is meant to imitate the yin yang. And trust, and trust me, buddy, I'm going to explain that later. There's, there's some research <laughs> that went into this. It's not going to be long. So just sit tight. Zuko then pops out of the snow like daisies. Get it? Get it? Mulan reference? Anyone? No. It's Mushu. When oh, he, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. He popped yes, out of the yes, snow like daisies. <laughs> like daisies. Yeah, that's I got like, it, I got it. That's like... <laughs> He uses his breath of fire, like Iroh said, to warm himself up, and he climbs through a tunnel of water. And nope. my anxiety level just goes through the roof nope, there. Nope, nope. I'm like, mm, that's not even <laughs> swimming. That's just walking against the power of water, holding your... That he's successful. He makes it through. He successfully surfaces inside of the Northern Water Tribe and is more successful than any of the other, uh, you know, Fire Nation people without having to use force, you know? Good for him, I guess, but also bad. We're rooting for him, but we're also like not, you know. It, that's the thing. Again, we're rooting for Zuko. You it's, know, I feel conflicted. <laughs> yeah, because it's not set up. It's not set up. I don't think as like a he's getting closer. Like it's like okay, feel, come on, feel, Zuko, come on. You, you know, feel more dread about Zhao than Zuko. So, yeah, I mean, I got to show you the good how good the redemption arc writing is. Um, meanwhile, Sokka is just sharpening his boomerang as the chief asks him, like, what's wrong? He's like, yeah, I have, you have kicked me off the mission. Han's a jerk, you know. He didn't say Han's a jerk, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's implied. And then the chief says, hey, I got a special mission for you. I need you to go protect, you know, Princess Yue. And Sokka's like, yeah, I could do that. That's easy. Totally fine. Yay. Good for me. <laughs> and meanwhile, is trying to meditate in the sanctuary. And we focus on those fish again as I swim in the yin-yang formation. 
like I said, one fish is black with a white spot and the other one is white with a black spot. So a little on the yin-yang, like I promised. Um, it actually represents balance. Um, and also a key thing that I found, thank you, Google, was that it focuses on how seemingly opposite or contrary forces may actually be interconnected. Hence why there's mm. a black spot in the white section and a white spot in the black section. Balance, Interesting. Baby. Um, so the white or the yang is usually masculine, uh, represents like, you know, masculine stuff. Uh, it's light, masculinity, activity, and the heavens. So white, I believe, is the moon spirit. And then the black or the yin is the more feminine, but actually is the one that represents the moon properly uh, in the actual, you know, in the actual history of this symbol, which is interesting. And it represents darkness, femininity, passive, <coughs> passivity. <laughs> Passivity? Passivity. Oh, goodness gracious. I'm just, I can't do this. Yeah. And the earth. <laughs> so. So wait, the, the yin in the history of the yin and yang represents the moon, but in the show, the white one represents mm-hmm. the moon? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just based off a quick Google search. I wasn't able to like really, really dig into this too much, but just based on what little I was able to search based off of the avatar wiki. And off of a quick Google search. So I definitely want to learn more about this. It's really interesting symbolism. It does tend to pop up in Western culture sometimes, even though it's come from, you know, China and stuff like that. Eastern culture. Eastern yeah. culture, I should say. Yeah. You know, I definitely, I, it's interesting to hear, like, after seeing it around in some, and I mean, even in Xena Warrior Princess, it's referenced to a few times. Like, just interesting to see more about the symbolism. So I hope that I was, you know, this is a good, it makes people more interested in learning more about this. Uh, and again, I'm not an expert whatsoever. That was a quick Google search. Maybe more of this will come up later with symbolism. And I think it's cool. Anyway, gotcha. so Aang focuses on the fish and ends up uh, going into the spirit world. His tattoos suddenly start glowing. Katara uh, assures Yue that Aang will be fine as long as they don't move his body. Foreshadowing. Um, and she promises to stick around and protect him. And suddenly, oh, fuck, Zuko is here. Shit, he made it, you know, as we all knew. But he got here a lot quicker than we all thought he would. Um, and she's, re- she's ready to fight. She's, like, she, you know, she's able to hold her own against Zuko because of all the training that she's received in the last couple of days that she's been in the Northern Water Tribe. Um, mm. She holds Zuko off and manages to trap him in a block of ice. And then he uses his firebending to melt it. And then she does it again. <laughs> And sticks him in a much thicker, stronger ice trap and holds him a little longer. Uh, Cut back to the Fire Nation ships where it's now daybreak and the second wave of the attack is about to begin. Um, Zuko then is able to wake up as the sun starts to rise and manages to break out of the second uh, ice trap that Katara laid for him. And he ends up overpowering Katara because she rises with the moon, he rises with the sun, which is what... I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that line, honestly. <laughs> like it's just what did you feel? What what did you feel about it? Like it was just kind of it was kind of weird. It was kind of a weird line. But I mean, I, I didn't mind it. that so much as so much as Zuko's opening line, where um, he's like, "Well, aren't you a big girl or something?" That now? was also weird. I was like, "Okay, weird that's lines. weird." <laughs> two lines are weird. And he's like, "You little peasant." I'm like, "This is a little weird." I didn't have a problem with that line. Um, can I just say though that yeah. I noticed the second time I watched it, the the move that Katara traps Zuko in is the move she uses at the be- very beginning of the episode. Right. So she it's traps a classic student. Mm. Classic setup and payoff for Avatar. Mm. We've seen it happen a bunch of times. Chekhov's water bending move. I, don't I know. guess. 
<laughs> I guess, yeah. Jack this is also a really cool him. fight because this yeah. is like, I mean, like obviously Katara has learned some shit. Clearly. You know? And it's also like, Zuko. yeah, and it's, I think is the first time where Katara and Zuko are actually one-on-one fighting for the first time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really cool. Part, no, the next part of this fight comes in the next episode. Yeah. Um. But I mean, I sorry. Whenever Zuko, whenever I think of like the you rides with the moon, I rides with the sun line, I also think of like because memes, you know, memes, avatar moments have now become memes to me. You know, it just happens. Mm-hmm. It just makes me think of this one meme where it's like it's like me waking up as my roommate coming back from a party in the morning. <laughs> like, yeah. You rise with the moon. I rise with the sun. You rise with the moon. Oh, I probably screwed up the like order whatever the point is there uh zuko ends up walking out with uh, ang's unconscious body slung over his shoulder and boom the fire nation has broken through the wall and it's battle time zhao vows that the water city tribe will fall and katara then wakes up and finds that ang is missing gone with zuko and then that's it that's kind of the end of the that's the end of the episode that's part one cliffhanger oh my god and there we are um some quick trivia uh it's it, it's like because avatar wiki thank you avatar wiki for writing the research into this episode <laughs> and some dialogue between han and sokka uh han pronounces sokka's name incorrectly by elongating the o so like is it soka kind of like ahsoka except soka. it's just soka which is how they pronounce yeah. it in the film apparently in the movie apparently it and is how they pronounce it in the film. i know it might be the correct maybe it's more correct to pronounce it like that but it's this is the oh, this is the thing, and we're gonna talk about it in two weeks when we do the live stream. I understand it's the Asian pronunciation, however, comma, <laughs> however, and that's what I'm afraid of for the live action, because I mean, it's 2020, and if if they're really sensitive about the cultural accuracy, okay. I don't know, man. I don't know. That's okay. all I have to say. I think I'd be more upset, though, if it's a complete character assassination. Like, you can pronounce Soka all you want, as long as I get the characterization that I want. You know, I agree. characterization that we were given. I can live, you know what, it will get make me, it will be an adjustment period, but it'll be fine. I agree. I could get over the pronunciation if the character felt right. But, but if you, that like, doesn't apply for The Last Airbender, so it makes it worse. Exactly, exactly. That's just like a you know salt in the wound there, buddy. Ong, I believe, is also the correct Asian pronunciation, but still, it's... I don't know, it got mixed feelings Character assass- assassination first, okay? That's the bigger yeah. problem here. I think it's going to be a common complaint that we're going to have when we review this movie. But if the live-action series does do that, it's there is going to be a sect of people that will never live it down. Civil War. Uh, and then, well, Andre pointed this out in the previous episodes that we uh, did a recap of, but uh, an instrumental version uh, of Iroh's song, Four Seasons, so four, not Seasons of Love, but it is about seasons and love, uh, is playing in the background when Sokka is marked to join the mission. And uh, Andre mm-hmm. described this as a Sokka and Yue's kind of love theme. Yeah, because it also does play in the very beginning when they're walking together, if you hear it. And it also it's also in the, the next episode, too. Oh my god! Can't wait to hear more about it. Um, and then apparently, uh, the water vendors uh, that stopped the Fire Nation battleship in the beginning of the episode, they just defeat the ship the same way that the shipwreck looks in um, the boy in the iceberg when we see Aang Katara go into the booby trapped ship. Which I did clock this. I was like, <laughs> "Yep, that's that." And they also do this in the Puppet Master episode with Hamas flashback. They mm-hmm. freeze the ship the same way, but I think that's supposed to be like this was the actual ship that they yeah. were in in episode one or two. I think that's what, but yeah. 
think that was really cool. It it really bookends the seasons in a very subtle way. I, I kind of like it. Nice. And that's part one of the Siege of the North. Part one season finale is over. We did it. <laughs> so let's get into an ad break and we come back with more Avatar The Last Airbender. Part two of the finale. And we're back. All right. The very last episode of season one. Episode 120, The Siege of North, Part 2. Let's do this. As the siege continues, Katara, Sokka, and Yue decide to go after Aang after he's been captured by Zuko. Um, We cut to Aang, and we see him in the spirit world um, in search of the moon and ocean spirits. In the reflection of a pond, Aang sees Ruko. Ruko? Roku. Ruko? Who, Avatar Ruko, who tells him that the ancient spirits (laughs) crossed over from the spirit world to the mortal world since the beginning. And the only spirit old enough to remember them is Ko the Face Stealer. Uh, fuck. fuck me. <laughs> uh, Roku or Ruko, either way, warns Aang not to display any emotion in the presence of Ko or the spirit will steal his face. If you'd like to learn cool. more, Love if, you'd like that. To, if you'd like to learn more about uh, Ko the Face Stealer, we talked extensively about Ko the Face Stealer back in our first guest episode we had with Savannah, where we uh, ranked all the villains of the Avatar universe. If you want to learn more about Ko and his backstory and all that cool stuff about him, go listen to that episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe that was episode nine, I think. Yes, episode Ish. nine. The Villains of Atla is what the episode's called. It's a good one. Um, we cut to Zuko in a cave where he's taken Aang, and he begins to talk aloud to Aang. Um, I don't necessarily mean... Uh, this is like kind of to Aang, but also to himself. Um, and also to the audience. But Zuko compares Aang to his sister because everything seems to come easy to them. And you could say that they're foils. No, I don't think put so. Your tin, put your tinfoil hat on. <laughs> tinfoil? <laughs> tinfoils. <laughs> All right. Make that make that um, into a merch opportunity. Crickets. Make that into like the merch. Like, you know, have like. Oh yeah, yeah. Merch coming soon. We'll do that eventually, right? (laughs) Um, Zuko also mentions that his sister is a firebending prodigy and the obvious favorite of their father, who told Zuko that his sister was born lucky and that he was lucky to be born. Fuck that guy. Uh, Ozai. Fuck fuck you. you. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. Um. Yeah, look at this show making us feel bad for Zuko Mm -hmm. uh, time and time again. They're you can make Ugh. a parenting book out of this. Like, what not to do. <laughs> what not to do, exactly. What not to do. Exactly. Ugh, yeah. But, you know, Zuko says he doesn't need luck. He says he's had to suffer all of his life, and it's the reason for why he's so strong and who he is. Do you agree with his statement? I mean, I don't really like the kind of narrative that, like, trauma makes you a stronger person type thing. I mean, I know that the mm-hmm. whole, like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, that whole thing, and that can work. But, like, I don't know. I'm not really a fan of the whole like uh, that sort of narrative of like trauma. I mean, not that I'm not saying that trauma survivors aren't strong because I will not say that. Like, I, I absolutely, you know, I, right. I, but, like I don't, I don't but like the romanticization this. of it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not really a fan of that. I mean, this is my reading of it. I don't think we're supposed to agree with Zuko here. No. I don't think the creators are being like, yeah, he's strong because he had to suffer. Like this is just. Oh my god. Oh my god. I thought that was somebody in the corner of my room. Nope. <laughs> Uh, scare the shit out of me. Uh, <laughs> do you see what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, I see it now. I That's just it. my cello in the corner, but I thought at the corner of my eye I looked like a real person. Anyway, oh um, 
yeah, I no, I don't think we're supposed to agree with Zuko here at all. Um, and I think the realization that he comes to at the end of the show is that he's strong because of the choices he makes and not of the trauma that was inflicted upon him. I mean, he I definitely would like not the be the same. Lesson. I mean, he would not definitely not would be. He would definitely would not be the same person if he wasn't didn't if he wasn't exposed to all that trauma throughout his life. I can agree that he will not. He would not be the same person if he didn't wasn't mm-hmm. repeatedly traumatized throughout his life. But I think Zuko is strong because he learns from his trauma, not exactly. just because he was traumatized. I mean, look, I mean, you look, know what look, I mean? At, look at what happened to Azula, you know, like we'll get more into that later, but like, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm Azula sure in, all, in her own way was traumatized. I don't think, she, but she didn't know it. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Lots of interesting things happening there. Uh, we return to the battle as the Fire Nation advances into the Northern Water Tribe after they've taken down the wall. Uh, Ira reminds Zhao that they are on a time limit and that they need to avoid engaging the waterbenders under the light of a full moon. Um, and before Zhao responds, Han tries to storm Zhao, who very easily just flips him over the edge of the railing into the water. Ha-ha, nice try, it, Han. Han. Suck it. It was, yeah, suck it. Suck um, it. Zhao then tells Iroh that he has found a way to remove the moon from the equation entirely, regaling a story of his early years when he discovered an underground library in the Earth Kingdom, wink, wink, uh, that identified the mortal forms of the moon spirit and concludes that it is his duty to find and kill the moon spirit. Iroh is obviously very shook about this and his suggestion and telling him that the spirits are not to be fucked with. And then Zhao says something interesting. Zhao mentions that he's heard rumors about Iroh's journey into the spirit world. Um, excuse me? His journey into what? His rumors about what? I forgot. This is, it hit me the same way back when that one episode where Iroh sees the dragon. spirit Aang and the dragon. And I'm like, um, what the fuck does that mean? Same thing here. I'm telling you, there is a whole backstory with Iroh and the spirits here. And we just do not know it. Live action series. Here's your fucking chance. <laughs> I'm very interested in what this journey was for and what about. Maybe it was, maybe it was something similar where Iroh journeyed into the spirit world to try to get help for the siege of bossing say or something or maybe to get back his son Ooh, wait a minute Ooh, Ooh, wait a minute maybe he was grief ridden and maybe he thought he could find his son in the spirit world oh my god there you go theory time tinfoil hat time um but yeah that's i just thought that was very interesting um speaking of the spirit world we're back with ang and he approaches ko's dwelling and happens upon a curly tailed blue nose monkey with no face. Love that. Aang is then confronted with a terrifying spirit and we meet Ko. Um, here's something I was curious about. Is the white face Ko's true face? Is that Ko's face or is that someone else's face? I mean, like I mentioned before uh, in the episode when we actually talk a lot more about Ko and like his origin, not like his origins, but you know, like the uh, inspirations for him. Um, the white face was kind of like inspired by, I, you know, inspired by these theater masks um oh, the, yeah switch them out masks. i wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised if it was his true face um considering i mean well he could probably do that face with makeup so i don't know i mean i, I get the well he also has a face that kind of looks like the blue spirit mask exactly too. so he imitates masks too it looks like because yeah know, so i don't i, I don't, mean and also i mean the spirit world is full of people other than humans yeah. so i don't 
So I don't know. I mean, in the years that I've known this show, I just kind of accepted for some reason that that was his true face. Mainly probably because that's the first one we see him in. So I guess my brain was just like, yeah, that's his default face. But then I was thinking like maybe a mysterious spirit like him. I mean, either he chooses not to show it or he just doesn't have a face um, inherent to him. And that's why he steals it. I mean, that would make sense. Yeah, that would make sense with his origin story. Um, and I also wanted to point out the way Ko swaps out the faces as he talks to Aang is cool, but also again Scary. very terrifying. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting episode. Very to watch fucking at night. terrifying. <laughs> it's the way he comes out of the shadows. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and the legs. I can't. I too many can't. legs. There's just too um, many legs. Is why I don't like spiders. <laughs> yeah. Too many. Uh, Ko legs. mentions that the Avatar is an old friend of his, as one of Aang's previous incarnations tried to slay him for stealing his love space. About 800 or 900 years ago. Now, we know, we find out in season three that this was Avatar Kurik, but the math doesn't line up because, so Ko says 800 or 900 years ago, but, so so Kurik lived to be about 30, then we had Kiyoshi, who's about 200 years old, then Roku died at 70, and then add another 100 for Aang. That's still only about like 400, 500 years. Well, considering that like Ko doesn't really leave the spirit world very often. Like He did say maybe, but maybe it was just a, the creators like didn't really think about it too much. Yeah, Which, I, think I mean, so. I don't blame him, but. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When, I, when I do find little inconsistencies, I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, but it's fine. It doesn't ruin anything. I was just <laughs> interest, uh, curious about it. Um, but yeah, uh, Aang tells Ko that he needs to find the moon and the ocean spirits, and Ko relays many different names, Twee and Law, Push and Pull, and Ko warns Aang that someone is going to try and kill them. That's now, this that. is interesting because it kind of implies that the spirits are kind of like not watching over the, the physical world, but are in tune with what's happening. And that obviously gets a lot more dissected in season two of Korra, <laughs> but... I like the idea that they're not completely separated. They kind of know what's going on, you know. I also got to say that, um, how do you pronounce it again for the fish's names? Tweet and Law. So Tweet and Law, actually, they literally do mean push and pull in Mandarin. Oh, Fun yeah. Fact. When Aang asks how he can find the spirits, Ko says he's already met them. And Aang makes the realization that the moon and the ocean spirits have taken the mortal form of the koi fish in the spirit oasis. Um, he then is able to leave the dwelling without having his face suctioned off. Huzzah. Um, and Heibai appears to take Aang back to the Yay. physical world. Love that. Uh, we cut back to the battle, which is raging on, and we see some really cool water on fire action. And Paku is actually a bit of a bamf in yeah. this very small action sequence. I'll give him and that. I really like how the battle serves more as like kind of a backdrop so the main story can keep progressing. But also, again, I really wish the runtime was a full 30 minutes so we could just get a little more of that action, the really cool bending. Again, maybe in the live action, we'll see. Zhao makes landfall and takes a small team of firebenders to go fishing. Ha ha. Uh, with the full moon in the shadow behind him, which I think was really cool. Um, as Aang's spirit form returns to the physical world, Katara, Sokka, and Yue follow his spirit to the cave where he's being kept by Zuko. Katara takes Zuko out fairly quickly uh, with the help of the full moon and rescues Aang. But before they leave, Aang decides to rescue Zuko as well, saying he'll die if they leave him there in the middle of the blizzard. Which is canonically the second time that Aang has decided to save Zuko. Exactly. And also considering like the Blue Spirit episode was like kind of a midpoint too. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was, it was interesting. 
interesting to consider. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I do gotta say though, like uh, when Zuka says, "Oh, you, you know, here for a rematch," it's just like, trust me, it's not gonna be much of a rematch. And then she just, like, yeah. dude, you're surrounded by go. snow right now during a full moon. Stupid. <laughs> and then smash stupid. cut to Zhao turning the moon red. Just. No warning, no context, just completely turning the moon red. We see waterbenders lose their bending. And this is this is interesting because I didn't think about this until I was uh, right before the podcast. Do we think that if the moon wasn't restored, do would waterbenders just not be able to waterbend? Like, would they just completely lose the ability? Uh, well, water still exists without the moon, period. I mean, it probably wouldn't be as powerful for sure. But like, I mean, I know that they're how they learned how to. I mean, there's other sources of water besides the ocean. You know, the ocean, even if it, like even without the tides, the the water, the ocean water still exists even without like the waves. From right, the but if the moon, if the moon is the well, yeah, I don't know, because I mean, like, what's the main source of airbending air? Exactly. You and know? they probably would lose. Like, that's some, that's like, the interesting thing, though. Like firebending, they learn from the dragons, but they draw their power from the sun. And waterbenders both draw their power from the moon and also learn from the moon. So again, it begs the question, like, if the sun were to disappear, would firebenders lose their the ability to firebend? Well, all life on Earth would probably die if the sun were to disappear. Well, correct. <laughs> but in, in, a, in a hypothetical sense, I don't know. I just thought that maybe it would just be significantly weaker. Yeah. You know? Because, I mean, even even during the day, when the moon's not visible, the moon is still there. You know, I mean, you just can't they, see it. They had the black sun, firebenders can firebend. So, I mean, that's temporary, but. That's a good point. That, that, hmm. I don't know. I'm going to ruminate that on a little more. But, yeah. It's interesting to think about. Listeners, what do you think? DM us, email us, let us know. Um, And then suddenly Aang and UA feel a disturbance in the forest. Literally, it's what it was. Um, Which I think is interesting because they both, Aang has that spiritual connection being the avatar. And Yue has that spiritual connection because of what happened when she was born. Because um, she was born quiet and sick and the healers told her parents that she was going to die. Yue's father prayed to the moon spirit to save her and then the spirit um, granted that prayer and poured a little of its life force into Yue. Um, and that's the backstory that we need to know for what happens next. So we cut to Zhao and he's jerking himself off over how Asian history will remember him as Zhao the Conqueror. Zhao the Moonslayer. Jesus fucking Zhao Christ. Zhao the Invincible. I never wanted to slap him more during that moment. <laughs> I just wanted to... Smarmy bastard. Thank God he died later. Well, Zhao the Conqueror. Zhao the Moonslayer. <laughs> Zhao the Invincible. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be amazing. Uh, the gang shows up. Aang tries to talk Zhao down, telling him if he kills the Moon Spirit, it will hurt everyone, not just the Water Tribe, which is very true, Zhao. And then Iroh comes in, backs Aang up, and says the Fire Nation also needs the moon because every bender depends on the balance of the elements. He also threatens, which he is, freaking threatens Zhao, too. He's like, whatever you do that spirit, I will do to you tenfold. Like, damn! Yeah. I loved how intense Iroh was in this scene. I loved it. I mm. love seeing him angry. I don't that know. That doesn't happen very often, clearly. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, yeah, when the wise older character suddenly becomes very fierce and intense. Very cool. 
Um, and for a moment, Zhao seems convinced and places the koi fish back into the pond, but almost immediately deals a fiery blow and kills it, making the moon disappear. I want to get what your read was on this. Was Zhao tricking everyone? Yes. Or did we think he actually reconsidered his decision for a split second? No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just- okay. <laughs> I just don't. I'm sorry. I can't assume the good in this guy. Really? Like, he's given me no reason to think that he would ever change his mind about something. He just jerked himself off saying, yeah, the Moonslayer, you know, all that shit. Like, no. Well, here's here's why I brought this up, because it was all in the animation, because usually in, in Avatar, when someone's doing something like they're tricking someone or they're being mischievous, we get to see them like smile to themselves a little bit like there's usually a visual cue but Zhao it's Zhao his expression softens he puts the fish back in the water and then suddenly he becomes very like erratic and then kills it seemingly out of instinct so I don't know what to make of it because you're right it, it we have not been given a reason for to assume Zhao would have any reconsideration in his decision but also the animation plays against us in that because it it mm-hmm. seems like he actually for a split second is like, maybe I'm being stupid. And then he's like, and then I think what happens is he remembers what he was talking about, remembers the legend thing, remembers the power. And then he just does it before he, he's doubts himself again. Yeah. You know? So I don't know. I just, I just I'm very... the worst in this guy. And that's fair. And that's the, that's what the show is. I'm just like, considering it's, it's Avatar, I yeah. want to put it past the creators to put just a, a little, little morsel of, of humanity yeah. in this person. Yeah. You know? I so I don't know. I still hate him. Uh, I mean, yeah. This is not a redeemable quality by any means. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, and I also wanted to point out this, the the red animation and the black and white animation is actually a really cool touch. Um, considering like realistically I say as I'm sitting in a room lit by red lighting right now yeah I mean like realistically if the moon were to disappear I mean you still have the light of the stars but it would be mostly pitch black but I think using a black and white filter gives the whole scene a really a helpless tone Um, and I'm also going to be honest yeah exactly I'm also going to be honest I don't I don't remember how they do this in the live action I want to say they do black and white and red too, but also they change a lot of things we'll for how out. the finale goes. Oh um, God, we'll find out, Especially right? what happens next. Um, you also notice that Yue's eyes are the only ones that have color in them, which is a subtle nod to how she still has some of the moon spirit's life force in her, mm-hmm. which I think is a really nice touch. Because it's really like, you really notice it, especially when, especially with, when it. you put it next to a character and you don't see the color in their eyes. Yeah. I mean, you've noticed so that. So they've lost hope. Video. They think everything is lost, but not before Aang enters the Avatar state and fuses with the ocean spirit in a really cool way. Like how he just like sinks into the pond. Super then- cool. The Avatar theme kicks in and Aang becomes a gigantic spirit fish. Koizilla. 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 Which is actually literally what the uh, Avatar wiki referred to it as. And I'm like, yep, Koizilla. That's wait, cool. are you fucking... Wait, really? They refer to it as Koizilla. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, that's canon. That's canon. It's Koizilla. That's, that's it. I can see the that's, reference, oh though. God. I can see the reference. You know, giant city. I mean, yeah, they totally. They fish destroying the city. It's fighting off the bad guys. 
That's no. interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. So Koizilla, oh, right? We're calling it Koizilla. Love a thing that. Now. Um. Yeah. Koizilla goes through the city. The waterbenders are bowing to the spirit, and the firebenders try to fight back to no avail, and they literally just get yeeted by the spirit. Slaps and aside, Aang manages water. to to yeah, and Aang manages to disperse the Fire Nation armada. Um, as Zhao tries to run away, Zuko confronts him and they duel. Iroh notices that Yue has been touched by the moon spirit and says that some of its life is still in her. Yue realizes what she has to do and Sokka tries to stop her and it's just so heartbreaking. Um, the you whole way the scene happy. plays out is just like very, ugh, yeah. It's it's a lot, especially for a kid's show. But this this is Yue's destiny. She knows this. She's she, so... She touches the burned koi fish, she faints, and then she fades into nothingness. Which is an on-screen death, technically. Yep, she dead. Um, she dead, boy. She dead, dead. <laughs> but then we see her reappear in spirit form, say goodbye to Sakura, and kisses him before she fades away, and then the moon returns to the night sky. Zhao notices that the moon is back, and he's like, it can't be! It can't! And then the ocean spirit takes Zhao away. Zuko tries to save him. But Zhao resigns to his fate as he is pulled beneath the water and disappears. Like, and why that, did, I mean, like, I know that Zuko's, however much, like, Zuko, like, if even if he grabbed Zhao's hand, he still, Zuko probably would have been gotten dragged down under, too. Like, do you think that Zhao rejected? I don't think Zuko was thinking about that. No, no, absolutely. Like, as just people who were watching it, you know. But, like, as, you know, do you think Zhao rejected it because, like, he didn't want to be helped by anyone? Or because, like, you know, there's uh, no point. I think it was that, and I think he was just like, there's no way I'm getting out of this. It seemed like he was just, like, resigned to his fate. You see him I again in Legend of Korra, though, because he's stuck in the fog of lost souls, so. Yep, he sure is. Fate um, worse than yeah, death, but I don't everybody. know. I don't know if if they just did this because it would have made Zuko look bad if he didn't try to save him. Yeah. Okay. Cause we're still again supposed to be rooting for Zuko. So I don't know if that was what they were trying to do. I don't know. I don't know. Um, and yeah, he slips beneath the water and disappears. And that's the end of grand Admiral douchebag. Zhao. We do get a brief, we do get to see him again briefly in Korra season two, but that's really it. Really? Yeah. Uh, we cut to the next morning and Paku tells Katara that he plans to return to the South Pole to rebuild the Southern Water Tribe. And I'm just like, I mean, great, what has changed? Like, Why now? What has changed? <laughs> like, is is it just because he, he wants to make sure the Southern Water Tribe is prepared for a similar attack? Is it just that simple? They already had that attack, though. I and mean, that doesn't mean it, it won't happen again. They got attacked again. I think I don't know if they knew, but they got attacked again at the beginning of the season. Like they've already been attacked by the freaking Fire Nation. Like, sorry, maybe I'm just. Oh, I maybe just have a problem. With no, I mean, no, people. no, no. I mean, like, is he going to the Southern Water Tribe to make sure they're prepared for a similar attack? Okay, fine, I'll give him that. I mean, and also, <laughs> I guess he just wants to see Grand Grand. I don't Absolutely know. Absolutely wants to see Grand Grand. Yeah, uh, but Katara says Aang still needs to complete his training, and Paku simply says that. He better get used to calling her Master Katara. Which also can we point out how cool it is that Katara is a master at 14. We always harp on about how big a deal it is that Aang mastered airbending at 12. Katara is a master waterbender at 14. She's not and the that's avatar. Really fucking amazing. Like, and she's not her. the avatar. Yeah. Love that for her. Um, the we cut to the chief uh telling Sokka that he always knew UA's sacrifice would one day come, citing a vision he had of her becoming the moon spirit, which that is very is. sad. He said he's very proud, but very sad. It's a very somber way to to sort of 
wrap that up. I mean, she's 16 um, years. She's like, what, like 16 years old? She was 16. Yeah. Like, I didn't think, I mean, like, you know, when you get, when you get past that age, you know, when you look at like, you know, kids younger, it's, I don't know. It just makes it more tragic, honestly. Yeah. Um, Iroh and Zuko sail away from the Northern Water Tribe, and Iroh remarks that he is surprised that Zuko isn't trying to capture the Avatar, and Zuko just says he's tired. Same here, buddy. And, you know, same buddy. That's rough, buddy. Um, but I think that that line is a little more is a little more uh, impactful. Like, do we think Zuko is starting to now question his goal to capture Aang after Aang saved him again? Absolutely. Oh my god. Without a doubt. <laughs> I think he's like, I need some time to think about this. You know, maybe he's not an enemy. I don't think he's consciously thinking that. I think his subconscious is like, maybe he's not the real enemy. He doesn't go into his, uh, what is it? I made a good decision and he goes, probably goes into a coma. He hasn't had that yet. <laughs> Like, oh he, yeah, he gets, he gets like a <laughs> he gets like a small one. He gets like a small like he gets like a, he gets to take a nap and then he gets into that. I love I that. I made a good decision. Passes out. <laughs> oh my god! His body literally rejects that. <laughs> we're literally. gonna have a, we're gonna have a fun time um, in that episode in season two. <laughs> but yeah, that's I think that's exactly what's happening. Um, we get a shot of the gang, Appa and Momo, staring off into the distance, and it's all very, you know, exciting because, you know, we it's have like the end of Star a, Wars. Whole, yeah, yeah, a little bit. It's a little very bit. reminiscent, of the, especially like, um, what is it? I mean, it reminds me a little bit of Empire Strikes Back when they're looking out into the stars after going through a lot of shit in that totally. episode. Totally. It always comes back to Star Wars, guys. <laughs> It always comes back to me. Wait till, wait till um, we get to season yeah. two, uh, season two finale. We will make a bunch of Star Wars references then. <laughs> totally. Um, but then we fade into the Fire Lord throne room. Ozai, voiced by the incredible Mark Hamill, says that Iroh is a traitor and Zuko is a failure. And we see a young woman bowing before him. Ozai tells her that he has a task for her and she stares into the camera with a menacing smile. And that's how the episode ends. That's how the season ends. With Azula. That's how the season ends. Azula. One of the best and I will characters say this, in the series. I will say this. They did they ended the film the same the way. same way they ended the season, <laughs> and it was terrible. <laughs> that I do remember. That I was not able to wipe away from my memory. Oh God. Oh God. Oh God. I'm gonna throw it on I also want to I mean I am by no means a music. I mean, you, he, Andre literally studied composing, like so. But like, I I, I noticed kind of like the music in the background when like you get the close up on Azula's face, like it kind of sounds like mm-hmm. s- the violence, or, like almost screaming or scraping against something, like just something yep. like <laughs> evil, you know. Yep. So you get that sound specifically by playing. Um, if you guys, if you can picture a violin in your minds, the little wooden piece that keeps the strings up. That you get that sound from playing on the other side. It's called a bridge. You play it on the other side of the instrument, or you play it right on top of the bridge, and you get a really like scrapey, squeaky sound that you eerie. hear a lot. Um, very eerie. And you know, I can't wait for season two where we just hear that bell over and over again when we see Azula on screen. I can't wait for that. I cannot wait. I think you know what I think we we should do for season two. What should I do? think we should have? In a Zula bell, bell counter. <laughs> we should. And we, we keep it up for the entire season. And every episode, we keep track of how many times we hear it. And then at the end of season two, we can be like, 
So the bell counter, we have reached 234 times (laughs) that we have heard the spell. And I want to see if it's more or less than season three. We're going to keep track of this, guys. Got to hold us to it. (laughs) We got to do that. We got to do that. Okay, put that in the show. See, this is the kind of stuff we can come up with when we have brain space to do it. Uh, (laughs) All right. Yeah, that's the end of the episode. Um, some little Avatar wiki trivia uh, that I wanted to bring up a little bit. Thank you, When Avatar the ocean wiki. spirit and Aang begin moving towards the Fire Navy fleet, the biblical story of Passover is invoked. When the water tribe submits to the ocean spirit, they were not attacked. The Fire Nation soldiers who did not bow were killed. So Ooh, little you know, exodus, for, uh, exodus parallels there. Um, more spirits appear in this episode than any other. They are the baboon spirit, Ko, Roku, Heibai, Law and Twee. Uh, near the very end of the episode, Iroh tells Zuko a man needs his rest. Iroh also told Zuko this in the first episode and in a flashback showing Iroh and Zuko soon after Zuko's banishment. Love that. This episode marks the first time multiple characters are killed. Twee was murdered by Zhao. Yue sacrifices herself to restore Twee's life force and thus becomes the new incarnation of the moon spirit. And Zhao himself meets his demise while fighting Zuko. And one last little fun thing in Super Stuff Nicktoons Weekend, which I believe is, is some kind of feature that was on Nickelodeon at the time, which shows the top 100 greatest moments in Nicktoon history. One scene from this episode was in 28th place, while the scene of Zuko and Katara fighting each other was ranked number seven. What? Interesting. Yeah, seven out of 100, which I would, I would have to agree. Of course. I mean, if Avatar doesn't populate that list, then what are you doing? Yeah. What's the point? It's one of the best and things that Nickelodeon is, ever came out with. <laughs> and that is the final episode recap of Avatar Season 1. Holy oh fucking shit, Oh my god, we, did, we it. did it! I can't stop crying. We did it, kids. <laughs> <laughs> and so since it is the Season 1 finale of Avatar, we actually have a few different fandom corners, more than just one for uh, this week. We've got a stuffed um, fandom corner this time. We have three fandom corners, and two of which actually come from a couple of our listeners, which is Yay! very exciting. But first, Thank let's you. start with this theory that we found on Reddit that pertains specifically for this episode, 120 of Atla. Um, it reads, in Avatar, it is known that the spirits have a sort of precognition, as evidenced by Yue's father telling Sokka at the end of season one that he was given a vision that Yue would one day turn into the moon. Clearly, the moon spirit knew that it would die one day and needed to use Yue as health insurance. But this brings into question how much precognition do they possess? If Aang wasn't at the North Pole, would Yue have been killed before she could bring the moon spirit back to life? It's impossible to know, but it seemed like all the elements, excuse the pun, were in place for the moon to be brought back to life. Now, remember when Sokka and Katara first find Aang? They are fishing and a random current brings them right to Aang. It brings literally the only person in the entire South Pole who could get Aang free from the iceberg Yes, I know she uses Sokka's club, but originally it's her waterbending that gets him free, right to him. I think the ocean spirit knew what would happen to the moon spirit and needed Aang to be around. It may not have anything to do with Yue and the moon spirit, but I'm pretty sure the current bringing uh, the current bringing Katara and Sokka right to Aang was a product of some ocean spirit shenanigans. What a great word! And I co-sign on this. Same, I totally agree. Like it's just like there's just too much coincidence, really. Just too much coincidence. Coincidence? Yeah. I think not. <laughs> I I love it. I love I, there is I feel like a certain predestination with some of these things, you know? Like I think some things are destiny and planned out and some things are dependent on the person, which I think mm-hmm. is what makes Avatar Avatar. 
But yeah, cosine, love this, love this. Sign sealed, um, delivered, we agree with this. <laughs> yes. Our second fandom corner comes from one of our listeners, James. Thanks, who James. us on Twitter to ask us this really interesting question. Uh, he writes, what do you think happened to the lion turtles? Why is there only one left by 100 AG? And this is That's an interesting question genocide. because... That stands for after uh, the yeah. genocide. That's what AG stands for. Work. Um, yeah, this is interesting. And um, I honestly don't... I don't know if it's, a, if it's a dragon situation where people were trying to like hunt them down or something or if they just simply went into hiding and people don't know that they are living on a lion turtle. I don't know. I mean, what considering, I mean, considering how lion turtles gave people their bending, like literally gave them the gift of bending. Remember, like mm-hmm. they gave them the gift and then like the animals and the moon taught them the rest, you know? So just, mm-hmm. just to keep that distinction in mind again. So they were able yeah. to give, they gave Aang the ability to take away bending you know, the lion turtle was able to take away, give, give the ability to take away bending. So remember that at the end of the uh, series. And then, um, you know, considering how powerful they are, just like how powerful the dragons are, I wouldn't be surprised if they were in hiding, um, you know, like the dragons were. I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. considering how powerful they are. Yeah, and I mean, the humans were kind of kicked see... off of the lion turtles too. The lion turtles kind of went off yeah. and did their own thing, it looked like. I don't see any human being capable of taking down a lion turtle, oh, especially no. like a lion turtle city. I do think like maybe over time they just kind of melted into the world, you that know, makes sense. and yeah. they just kind of lie dormant or maybe they're dead. I don't know. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about the lion turtles. Um, but yeah, really interesting question. Also, shout out to James. He has been with us since yeah. the very beginning. Uh, he DMs us every week with thoughts about the episode, and we really do appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thank James. you, James. You are awesome. Yeah. And our last fandom corner is from another listener by the name of Soapcat on our Twitter. And she actually sent in this voice memo with some opinions about the Northern Water Tribe. I do want to mention that she said that there are very mild Rise of Kyoshi spoilers in this voice memo. I know that goes against our opening um you know, line in the episode, but I have listened to it and it's, it's nothing big at all. It's just something to point her to uh, prove her, her, um, her point. Um, but if you would rather not hear that, go ahead and skip forward. Like I would say three or four minutes. Um, but yeah, let's take a listen. All right. Hi, this is Shea with a nice dose of taking a children's show too seriously. Now this rant does have slight spoilers from the Kyoshi novels, but they're pretty light. So I hope that's okay. I've been a fan of the shows, books, comics, and novels for most of my life. And I can say without a doubt, I can't stand the Northern Water Tribe. (laughs) Obviously, we see Paku in the show, and he's a gender-biased jerk. But meeting a female Northern Waterbender in the novel really shows the level of Handmaid's Tale BS that goes on in the Northern Water Tribe. In The Handmaid's Tale, we see the wives, who are complicit in the crimes of the oppressive regime and are very big into... Do not mistake my meekness for weakness and hold the view that it is their natural place to not get to do the same things as men and that they have a special holy duty to be godly wives or whatever. In the Kyoshi novels, we meet a powerful northern healer who is of the opinion that as a woman, she has the duty to heal Mm. and that men are the ones not allowed to heal as opposed to women not allowed to waterbend. This paired with the North's intense duty to the tribe and religious overtones furthered in Korra by Unalak, brings back the fanatical wives of The Handmaid's Tale to me. This is also shown to be bullcrap. As for individuals of other tribes, 
that's not taken into consideration. It's not a sacred northern duty for women to heal if Katara shows up, and even though she's not a northerner, she still has to heal as opposed to fight. I understand that the gender divide in the north is a plot device to give Katara something to overcome in the episode, but wow, I feel like it just really missed the mark. Hmm, interesting. What do you think about that, Kayla? Wow. <laughs> Handmaids tell bullshit. Yeah. I just get angry or fuck the northern tribe. Fuck those guys. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. They made me hate them more now. Great. So we have something to look forward to with the Raja Kiyoshi novels <laughs> when we get to those. We'll get to those pretty soon. Yeah. See, I, I, I think I said this last week where, like, the thing with Paku is he, he, Ultimately, like, is like, okay, Katara knows Grand Grand, so I'll train her. That's what it's not like, oh, I realized that I'm being incredibly misogynistic and not letting women fight. Maybe I should change my ways. Like, it wasn't that. It was the fact that Katara was was related to Grand Grand. And I don't believe maybe it's possible, but I honestly don't see like if a similar situation were to happen where a woman waterbender came to the Northern Water Tribe and wanted to learn for Paku, I don't think his experience with Katara would completely erase his traditional sexism. You know what I mean? I don't think he would be like, well, Katara proved me wrong. Maybe I should... Or maybe he will. I don't know. We won't. We will never know. But yeah, I kind of agree with you there. We don't see him again for a while, so I kind of agree with you there, Soapcat. Um, thank you, Soapcat. That was awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a great way, by the way, to send in some feedback. I think your com- I think your like your commentary just like made it better. Like you not only like gave the facts, but yeah. like just inserted your own like little opinion. I loved that so much. Thank you for sharing. Of course, yes. Um, and if you want to follow uh James and Soapcat, you can find James at Chef underscore J underscore Money on Twitter. And you can follow Soapcat at Combustion Ma'am. Love that on Twitter as well. Yes. We will have those. Uh, we will have those Twitter handles in the description for this episode as well. Um, and yeah, if you want to take the lead by emailing us a voice memo with your thoughts on whatever, or you want to reach out to us on your on our social media DMs, you can reach us directly at the Avatar Hour Podcast at gmail.com. or you can follow us at Facebook and Instagram at the Avatar Hour Podcast and Twitter at Avatar Hour. If you would like to follow me and Kayla personally, you can find me on Twitter at hey, it's underscore Andre. And you can find me at, K- at Kayla underscore underscore Gagnon. Cool. And uh, last reminder, there will be no episode next week. Um, our next episode will be the live stream episode. And that live stream again is taking place November 28th. The podcast episode will be posted the Monday after like any other, ep- any other episode. Mm-hmm. The live stream starts at 7, right? The stream starts at 7. We're going to start the movie around 7.30. If you want to pop in and out, that's fine, too. If you want to just come to hear us talk about it after we watch the movie, which is, what, like 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time is probably when we're going to be finishing it. Um, yeah, we'll come in whenever you want. We're going to have a lot of feelings thing is, like, the We would love to talk to you guys. Yeah, we would love to talk to you guys while we're watching and just have a good time and celebrate the season one finale of avatar hour yeah you know interact with us in the chat we'll be watching the chat as we're watching the movie like we can do both you need to distract you from whatever nonsense is going on to watch the chat we can do that we're good at multitasking exactly <laughs> exactly all right that's it. wow that's season, season one of avatar one. we did it
We did it. Very Aww, exciting. All right. Sentimental. We will see you guys in two weeks for the last Airbender live stream. Thank you guys so Wish much for luck. listening. We really do appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. My name's Audrey. And I'm Kayla. Goodbye, guys. Bye.